1: grace and peace to you, and welcome to Radio for Real Life with Sean Nazaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for, and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we're going to hear a challenging word from Pastor Sean Nazaro, as every day we face challenges to our convictions, which sometimes are threatening. Have you noticed the hostility on Facebook? Friends and family relationships are torn, so... What do we do with these moments, especially when our faith is the conviction being challenged? In the Bible, there's three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with an example of courageous living that ended up with an inspiring result. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. Today is part one of the message called The Power to Inspire. It's time for Radio for Real Life.
2: Last week, I was up in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana with some of the folks from our Fellowship of Churches. I serve on a board there, and it was just very cool. We, we value connection. We value community. We value it here at home. We value it in the context of the broader body of Christ, and I appreciate the opportunity just to help give some oversight to our Fellowship of Churches because it's something that we value. We value being connected in community, and while I was up there, you know, in the evenings you go, you... Kind of take some time, or take some out, and I was looking at just some things on Facebook, and there's a friend of mine, a guy who I've known like a big part of my life. We grew up together, and as we've kind of grown up, we've kind of gone very different directions as far as philosophy, maybe political kind of beliefs, religious beliefs, and he professes to be a follower of Jesus, and yet. There are some things that he is unbelievably harsh, downright disrespectful when it comes to the church. I mean, you know, he very closely ties it to politics, and so I think it gets convoluted and muddy. But he made some comments about the church and religion versus science, and you know, and it was just this very demeaning stuff. So I commented on it. I said, you know, come on, take take a look at at what. Jesus followers have done. Take a look at the hospitals. Take a look at the orphanages. I don't care what perspective you come from. Where would we be without people of faith over the last two millennia? What would the world be like? You know, and, and so, of course, he lists all the, these negative things. I said, come on, man. You've got to take a look at Jesus. Of course, there are people who profess his name, but have nothing to do with Jesus, who use him for manipulation. Yes, of course, we all understand that. But you can't with a broad brush right off all, you know, the followers of Christ for 2,000 years. And his response was, Jesus is an awesome dude, but his church has screwed it up royal, okay? And when he said that, you know, I just stopped and I started thinking, where does all this disrespect and disregard come from? Have you thought about that? Because have you sensed it in the last 10, 20 years, how it's amped up? Okay, it, 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 it's one thing to disagree, but it's another thing to begin to say, okay, Christian people, the Christian church is bad. That's different. When I was growing up, when I was younger, I, I do recall that there are a lot of people who disagreed. They didn't profess to Christianity, they didn't follow Jesus, but there was a respect. Well, something's happened. That's gone. You know, I heard a survey this week of how many different people and different institutions would hesitate to hire someone if they knew they were an evangelical Christian. It's like, what's happened? What's happened that there's this disrespect and this disregard? I'm sure you've had conversations. I'm sure you've seen it and maybe even been shocked by it. Well, I want to share something today that I think can change this in our own personal lives. I think, I think there are some reasons that we've gotten to where we are today, <clears throat> but I do believe, good news, the Scripture gives us something that will directly relate to this, and I believe can actually turn this tide. And I think it starts small. It starts in the lives of individual believers. It starts in the lives of individual congregations, but then it spirals outward. And so I believe there's something that the Scripture is going to show us that really can make a change. And if you've been hungry for something like that, then turn with me to the book of Daniel. And we're going to take a look and see. book of Daniel, we're going to be in chapter 3. The book of Daniel, I think, is one of the more interesting books in the Scripture. I mean, they're all interesting in their own way. Daniel has some very powerful, prevalent themes. God's sovereignty over the affairs of men is a huge, sweeping theme in the book of Daniel. Prophecy, God's ability to declare and determine what is going to happen and to let his people know. That, that's a big theme of Daniel. A lot of people spend a lot of time there. But there's another theme that doesn't get as much attention that I want to look at, and I find it fascinating. And it is, it is a transformation of Nebuchadnezzar. I think it's unbelievably timely for us. This transformation of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon who overran, overran and ultimately captured Jerusalem around 605 B.C. You remember what they did. Their strategy was they sacked the city. They inhabited the city, but they took some of the brightest and best and took them to Babylon. And so in Daniel chapter 3, remember Daniel was one of those who were taken. We're told in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar made a golden image, almost 100 feet tall. And now what that image was, we don't know. If you kind of grew up in Sunday school, maybe you had... uh, you know, flannel board. Um, I should have consulted VeggieTales, see how they handled this, because that's an authoritative source, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Larry Boy would have the answer for me right now. But we don't know what that image was. A lot of people present it as a, a, an image of like a, a Babylonian king, like Nebuchadnezzar himself. That's probably a reference to the previous chapter, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which Daniel interpreted for him this figure of a leader, of a man. Well, we don't know. It doesn't say that that's what this image was. We just know it's a 100 feet tall. And we find the interesting piece of it is that all the leaders were invited to a gathering, and they were told, this image, we are going to bow down, we are going to worship this image. It represented the sovereignty of the king, and we are going to bow down and worship this king. It says, at the sound of these various instruments, all will bow down and worship, or else they will be thrown into a fiery furnace. So it's kind of worship or else. I wish we still had those kind of enforcement opportunities. I mean, imagine how many services we'd have to have if we could just say worship or else execution by furnace. But alas, those days are gone. So I don't really mean that there's a guest like, oh my gosh, this guy's dangerous. So that's where we are in Daniel chapter 3. Now picking up at verse 8, we read something that happens. It says, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, you've made this decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So at this point they're telling him what he already knows. But then, verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, and he names them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought the men before the king, and he answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now well, listen, he doesn't even let them answer. This tells you he's a, he's a fairly reasonable guy. Verse 15, he says, Now if you're ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. In other words, if you'll do that, all will be forgiven and forgotten. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, verse Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's Daniel in a very formal sense saying the king was so mad, his face was contorted. And so you hear, the next words that you hear Nebuchadnezzar say, you have to envision them with... The, sh- he's shouting, he's screaming, he's enraged. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of his mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. We stop from our contemporary place, and we sit and go, dudes, what are you so uptight about? Just bow down. Everyone's bowing down. They can't see well anyway. Just kind of, you know, okay, look, I'm doing it. I mean, come on, right? We're, We're way more pragmatic than that. God knows, doesn't he? I mean, doesn't he know? What's the big deal? Why in the world, you got to make this big show, no, we will not bow, and, and then what is that all about? Why not just kind of go along, you know, nod your head to it, okay, and just be quiet. Just do it. God knows, right? Well, actually, God does know. The problem is, we know that these devout Hebrew young men they knew the law. They knew the Pentateuch. They knew the Ten Commandments. They knew the first two commandments. First one, no other gods before me. None. Zero. Second, you shall not make any idol and bow before it. Zero. In Exodus 23, they're warned before they are getting, they're getting ready, kind of on the precipice of going in and taking the promised land. And we're told about these different nations. And Exodus 23, 24, and 25 says, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you.
1: And Let's take a quick minute to remind you you're listening to Radio for Real Life with Senior Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church, in this message called The Power to Inspire, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Again, find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean.
2: Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.
1: And now back to the message, The Power to Inspire. This is Radio for Real Life. The
2: question we should ask is not why. Didn't it, why is worship such a big deal? Because that's really what we're talking about. What is the big deal with worship? And I think it's very simple. Worship is fundamentally what you put first in your heart. Understand that. It is what you put first in your heart. And as such, it is a supremely big deal. That's why the kings would make these images or set themselves up. That's why the Caesars in Rome set themselves up as deities. And you could have your other little gods, whatever, but you had to worship Caesar. And that's what ultimately got the Christians in trouble. That's what ultimately got these guys in trouble, the Jews in trouble. Because they served a god who the scripture describes as a jealous God, and he will not tolerate any competition for that first place in our heart. And let me tell you, folks, the God we serve today is the same God. And he hasn't somehow mellowed out in his old age. Oh, he's not so, you know, he's way more lax now. No, he's not. Because worship is still a really big deal. Because it's about what's first in your heart. And yes, we don't have the same kind of idols. Thankfully, we don't have anybody at least up to this point in America, who's put a big golden image and said, bow down and worship it. But they haven't had to. We've got our own golden images that we'll bow down and worship to. Worship's a big deal. And it was a big deal politically because it was about control. If I can control who you worship, what you worship. Let's say some nation had a First Amendment that guaranteed freedom of religion. If you can control, if you can say, kind of throw in this concept of separation of church and state, and then have the ever-expanding state into every single area of life, and if you could keep this religion, which it's really pesky because it's all about what's first in your heart. If you could push that to the perimeter, then you would be able to control people much more easily. Worship's a really big deal, and everything in our life ultimately comes back to what we worship. So that's why. They couldn't just go along. They couldn't just bow down. So, Scripture goes on and tells us, these women were, then these men were bound in their cloaks. Their tunics, hats, other garments, they are all thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent. Remember how mad he was? The furnace was overheated. The flame of the fire killed the men who brought them. They took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. Those men died. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, firing furnace. I'm like, well, great stand, guys, but it's over now. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, wait a minute, didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? They answered said to the king, it's true, O king. He answered said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, come out and come from here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego came out from the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, kings, counselors gathered around and they saw, I love this, they saw the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks, not harmed. uh, No smell of fire had come on them. They didn't even smell like fire. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Wow! Boy, that took a serious turn. And that's the part that I find so compelling about this story. Nebuchadnezzar had an absolute change of heart. His eyes were open to something he never expected to see, something he'd never seen before, and it changed him. And it is really interesting if you read even in the, on into the next chapter. He goes There's just significant time that's given to the transformation of Nebuchadnezzar. And as much as someone can, I mean, obviously this is pre-Christ. It's not like he became a Christian. But he came to develop a very high regard for the God of Israel. And I think this was one of the instances that caused that. And all was because three slaves refused to bow and instead acted on their convictions. I think this is an extremely relevant and important lesson for us because we live in a culture with ever-diminishing tolerance for people of faith. We need to pay attention here. We regularly feel pressure to abandon our convictions or to compromise. And stop and think about it. I'll bet you can think in the last week or two of times when you felt pressure from somewhere to abandon your convictions or to somehow compromise on what you knew was the truth of how God wanted you to respond. We feel regularly the pressure to accept and accommodate errors and lies. And to kind of, well, either gloss them over or say they're not error or lies, or just not saying anything. We feel the pressure regularly from within the Christian community, and of course, definitely from out, to just go along to get along. To just go along to get along. Because if we, if we just go along, and we're just nice along the way, people see how nice we are, and they'll want to serve us just because, they'll, they'll, I mean, they'll want to serve God, and they'll want to come to know our God because of our niceness. We feel the pressure regularly just to keep quiet. And and somehow we think this will win people over. And I want to suggest it's wrong. I want to suggest it's never worked that way. I think if Nebuchadnezzar could come here and stand before us today, he would tell us something. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's the main point that I want to share. It's simply this. The power to inspire is found in fearlessly living out your convictions. You want to inspire? You want to influence? Be clear about what you believe and then live it. The power to inspire is found in fearlessly living out your convictions. It is not found in being bowled over. It is not found in doing these contortions, the best of our ability to try to make it fit into the current cultural wave of thought. The power to inspire. And that's what we see in Nebuchadnezzar. He was inspired. He saw something different. There was something in his heart that was drawn to what he saw in these guys. The power to inspire is found in fearlessly living out your convictions. Now, real quickly, what are the convictions of our faith? When I say convictions, what am I talking about? Well, we have some key convictions. I mean, I think of the Apostles' Creed. Just the core beliefs, because they're extremely practical. We believe that God is the creator and the Lord over all. That he exists. He is the creator and Lord over all. As such, we have an accountability to him. We believe that and we hold that as a conviction of our faith. We believe that Jesus is the only son of God and our savior. And we believe, like he told us in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to father but by him. And that his word, we believe in his word, and it is truth. It is the truth. And some of you, what's interesting, you've been so beaten and and pushed by culture. You're uncomfortable with me even saying it that way. Well, the truth, really? Can we say that? I mean, who's to know what is true? Is there truth? His word is truth, the truth. His word lays out the path that we are to live in alignment with the design of our creator that will lead to fruitfulness, effectiveness, the fruit of the spirit in our lives. His word lays out for us right and wrong. Yes, those things do exist. We don't get just to make them up on the fly. They kind of exist. Truth exists regardless of our opinion. The right and wrong, the ethics of the scripture are powerful and effective. Ethics in all areas of our lives and relationships, relational ethics, how we treat one another. Financial ethics, how we handle our business, our money, integrity. Sexual ethics, how God wired us and designed us and caused us to live. Life's purpose and mission, it's all found in the word of God. Those are some of the core foundation of our convictions. Those are what we believe. Those are what we stand on. Now, important note before we go on. And this is really significant. The inspiring speech, you you remember the speech? We love this part because this is a familiar story. We love the inspiring speech of verses 16 through 18. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, be it known, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you've set up. And we just go, mm, I could have church. Preach it, boys. Mm, we get excited. Yeah, look at that. And we, I mean, really, that, that, that little speech kind of gets me fired up. I'm like, mm. I can feel my backbone getting stronger right now. You know what's interesting? That speech didn't do much for Nebuchadnezzar. It does a lot for us, and it should. I I I think it should. But it didn't. It's not what influenced Nebuchadnezzar. Because when he said that, he just got. When they said that, he just got mad and threw him in the fire. He was not moved. Like wow, great speech, man, guys. Well, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. You guys come sit by me now. We'll throw someone else in the fire. He wasn't moved by the speech at all. But something changed when they lived their conviction right before him by refusing the idol and choosing the furnace. Now that was inspiring. That changed him. It was the power of conviction lived out right before his eyes that transformed this guy, changed his perspective. In fact, real quickly here, I want to suggest that Nebuchadnezzar saw four things. That living our convictions always makes visible to those around us. Four things. That when we live our convictions, always become visible. Number one, when we fearlessly live out our convictions, people will see Jesus. When we fearlessly live out our biblical convictions as followers of Jesus Christ, not when we talk about them, but when we live them out, People will see Jesus. I love <clears throat> that picture of them in the fiery furnace. And he, Nebuchadnezzar's looking, he goes, wait, there, there's four guys. They're all fine, and the fourth one's kind of like a son of the gods. How does he know what a son of the gods looks like? I don't know. Theologians think that that wasn't necessarily an angel. Could be. We don't know for sure. But they believe it was a pre-incarnation Manifestation of Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. And that Nebuchadnezzar was given almost a prophetic wisdom in seeing what was happening before him. When we live our convictions fearlessly, people will see. Jesus. I'm not saying we shouldn't declare the truth verbally. I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak, but there's something about when you live it, when you're under fire and you stand up for your convictions that causes people to see Jesus in a way that is different.
1: That's Pastor Sean Nazaro. You've been listening to Radio for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message called The Power to Inspire, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue